Jamie, where are you? I've enjoyed these, um, these mini-series on the growth groups. What a great topic to talk about, growth groups. And thanks, mate. And um, it's been really good, um, really good to, um, to just get a little bit of a feel for what um, some people have experienced in growth groups. So if you're not in a growth group, come and find me afterwards. I'd love to help you get into a, um, into a growth group because they really are the engine room of our church. We really do uh, grow and, uh, and build good relationships in those groups, um, as Jesse talked about today. And it's really exciting to see Jesse step up into leadership this year and um, see, um, see all these kind of things happen. So it's been really, um, really good to be part of that. Well, we're going to jump straight in. Over the course of our lifetime, most of us will spend at least 90,000 hours at work. That's a lot of time, isn't it? 90,000 hours at work. Most of us, of course, spend 8 to 10 hours a day, between 40 and 50 hours a week, over 2,000 hours a year, 90,000 hours over a lifetime. What does God think of your work? I believe we can either underestimate the value of our work, saying things like, well, our work doesn't matter, it's just a way of paying the bills. I'm just working to pay for the next holiday. I'm just working for the weekend. Work, well, it's less important than ministry, isn't it? Or we can overestimate work where we believe that work is all that matters. It's where I find my identity, my purpose, my sense of worth, my fulfilment in life, where work or our career soon becomes our idol. What does God think about your work? Today I want you to hear that your work is where God wants to use you. Let me say that again. Your work is where God wants to use you. As we continue the story of Joseph, we're going to see that God raises Joseph up to a position of incredibly powerful secular leadership to bless the world. Joseph's story parallels the story of Daniel, the story of Esther... Daniel in Babylon, Esther in Persia, none of these were raised up to be prophets, none of them were priests, none of them were spiritual leaders, but God raised up all three to the highest levels of secular leadership and used them mightily for his purposes. I'm sure many of you have heard of William Wilberforce, the British abolitionist who campaigned for the abolition of the slave trade from 1787 to 1807. 20 years campaigning against this injustice. And throughout his political career, Wilberforce wrestled with the question, can I serve God and nation in my work in Parliament? Can I serve God and nation in my work in Parliament? And at a moment of crisis, he reached out to his mentor, John Newton, famous for his hymn, Amazing Grace. And John Newton responded with these words, William, God has raised you up for the good of our nation. Maintain your friendship with Pitt, the Prime Minister at the time. Continue in Parliament, for who knows, for such a time as this, God has brought you into public life and has a purpose for you. Today we're going to see that your work is not secondary to ministry. But neither is your work ultimate. 
We're going to see that your work, whether it be paid employment or the way you use your time between jobs or in your retirement or at home raising a family, your work is where God wants to use you. Let me pray before we jump into God's word. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray that today you will give us a renewed purpose for why it is we work for how it is we should work, and for the way that you are wanting to use us in our work. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we follow through Joseph's story in chapter 41, we're going to look at the place of work, the pressures of work, and the possibility of work. I wonder whether you would answer, or what you would answer if I asked you the question, what is your dream job? What is your dream job? If I was able to transport most of us back, not all of us, but most of us back to the age of 17, as you start to make decisions on what you want to do for the rest of your life, what would you have said to that? What is your dream job? Now, I know some of you are kind of 17 or a bit younger, so as you look forward, what is your dream job? I remember at a very young age, I wanted to be a racing car driver. That shouldn't be a surprise to some of you. But what is your dream job? Today, as we look at the life of Joseph, we see him raised to a dream job, a position of extraordinary privilege and power in the palace of Pharaoh. If you recall the story from last week, you'll remember that God gave Joseph interpretations of Pharaoh's dreams, that there will be seven years of plentiful harvest, followed by seven years of devastating famine. And God gave Joseph a plan to set a wise man over Egypt to steward his resources, to to, to steward the resources of Egypt and prepare Egypt for the famine that was coming. Picking up the story, back in verse 37. Joseph's plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one uh, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Joseph is appointed to one of the highest secular offices in the land of Egypt, 2IC to Pharaoh, a position of incredible power and influence, the equivalent to our Australian Prime Minister ruling under the authority of the Queen. In verse 42, we see that Joseph is dressed for greatness. Pharaoh takes off his signet ring, places it on Joseph's hand, which is the ancient world's seal of authority, pressed on official documents so that Joseph could now act on Pharaoh's behalf. They clothe him in fine linen, they put a gold chain around his neck and they give him a royal robe, similar, interestingly, to the robe that his father had given him right back at the beginning of this whole story, which now shows that that robe was prophetic of what's now happening to Joseph as he is raised to greatness in Egypt. Pharaoh gives him his second chariot and he is led through the streets All the Egyptians bow down to him. 
I guess if he came into Sydney today, it would be one of those black armoured cars, tinted windows, little flags on the front, flanked by security, police clearing the streets. And we'd all be saying, whoa, who's that? Who's this important person that everybody must get out of the way for? Oh, it's Joseph coming to town. Now, it's interesting that God didn't raise Joseph up to be a priest. He didn't put him in the temple. It wasn't one, actually. No, God raised Joseph up to secular leadership. For that is where God wanted to use him to bless the world. Now, of course, as we reflect on this, ministry is important. God's kingdom is advancing in the world, and the church, of course, is the forefront of God's mission. And that is why we want everyone who is part of Menai Anglican to use their gifts to serve the church in the many ways God's gifted you to see many introduced to Jesus and have their lives changed in him. We get in, we do this together, it's a part of what we do. But the truth is that God doesn't just want to use you when you're here on, at church on the weekends or in your growth groups for the week. No, your work is where God wants to use you. For we can all serve God and neighbour wherever he has placed us. Now, I realise for all of us, we have very different experiences of work. Some of you are in your dream job. God has raised you into a position of influence and responsibility. Your satisfaction, your job satisfaction is high. And I want to remind you as you go to work on Monday that your work is where God wants to use you. Go to work on purpose, to fulfil his purposes. But some of you will find work very difficult. It can be frustrating. You're not happy in your current job. It feels like you're in a dead-end job with no prospects of advancement. The money is lousy and you feel like you have so much more to give. Friends, if this is you, I want to remind you that there's no menial or unimportant work in God's eyes. When Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist and took on the role of the servant to wash his disciples' feet, he dignified the humblest of callings. No matter what it is we're doing, we can all please God in the way that we work. Having said this, for those of you who are unhappy in your work, perhaps because you work in an abusive environment or who are trapped in a job that's going nowhere, or for those of you who've been forced to look for other work because you've been retrenched or, um, or let go, I want to say that it's not wrong, of course, to look for other work. There is a time when a change is the right thing to do. But if it's, if it's just that you're finding work hard and this season of your working life feels like a bit of a drag, don't just jump ship thinking that life will be better somewhere else. Joseph's trip to this role was far from an easy journey. He spent 13 years in Egypt before uh, he got this role, in servitude and then imprisonment. A time where God developed his character, where he learned patience and perseverance and dependence on God, all shaping him so that he could do this role that God now had for him. And in the same way, God may well be shaping you for the role that he has prepared for you in the future. And so what he might be calling you to do is turn up to work on purpose, to do what's there in front of you, even though it may not be easy, to be patient and learn endurance and to allow God to shape your character 
in this season of difficulty. Your work, friends, no matter what it is, is where God wants to use you. As we reflect on Joseph's story, he's given a dream job. He learned dependence on God in the pit. Now he'll respond to the pressures of the palace. And so now we turn to the pressures of work. Joseph faced the pressures to conform. He is given a royal makeover. He is given wealth. He is given an Egyptian name, verse 45. He is given an Egyptian wife. Will Joseph now allow his life in the palace to shape his heart? Will Joseph allow this new job to so consume his inner life that he's drawn away from this newfound dependence on God that he found in the pit? That's a danger we all face, isn't it? You see, you don't just turn up to the workplace to do a job. Your workplace will shape you. It will shape your worldview. It will shape your values. It will shape your character. It is the way the world we live in thinks. For so many of us, what we do for work shapes our identity and our sense of self-worth. You see, if I was to ask you, who are you? Most of you would answer me by what you do for work. I'm a doctor. I'm an engineer. I'm a nurse. I'm a teacher. I'm a minister. So the question that we face and that Joseph faced here is this. How can we resist the pressure of works and not conform to the world? Well, one answer, of course, is we could retreat and reject the secular workplace altogether and only be prepared to work in a Christian business. Or... We could allow ourselves to so fully immerse ourselves in the secular workplace and conform to the pattern of the world. But of course, neither of those responses are appropriate for those who follow Jesus. God is calling us to have a faithful presence in our workplace, whether it be a Christian workplace or a non-Christian secular workplace, to contribute without conforming, to be engaged in secular work whilst being distinct from it. As Christians, we've been called out of the world. We've been called to be a holy people, set apart for God. And yet he sends us back into the world as salt and light and calls us to have a faithful presence wherever we are. So what does that look like in our work? Well, the first thing to say is that a faithful presence requires preparation of the heart's. We need to go to work reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel. We need to remember that in Jesus we have our true identity found not in what we do, but in who we are. As the sons and daughters of the living God, saved by grace through Jesus' work for us. Indeed, we no longer live for our glory, but for the glory of the one who saved us. And so we don't need to make a name for ourselves in our work. We need to remember that God has given us true riches in Christ, an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. And so we don't need to work for the almighty dollar. And instead can be generous with what we earn, rather than endlessly striving for more. We remember that because we've been justified in Jesus, God is now pleased with us. 
And so we don't need to work to find the approval of others. But we now have the freedom to serve others with the gifts that God has given us. Faithful presence in our workplace requires preparation of our hearts. In Joseph's story, we see his faithful presence in the palace, even alongside his secular work of preparing the nation for the famine that is coming. Now, by no means am I saying that Joseph was perfect by this point. But what we do see here is that he maintains his faith in God, despite this high position that he now finds himself in, in the kingdom of Egypt. And we see it in two ways. Firstly, we see it in the name that he gives his two sons in verses 51 and 52. And remember, in the ancient world, names are incredibly significant because they give us a clue as to what those parents value and what is happening. Joseph calls his first child Manasseh, a Hebrew name, which we're told means, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and my father's household. And he names his second child Ephraim, which we are told is because he's made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And so if Joseph reflects on this new life and his new position, he realises that it's all been of God. It's all been God's hidden hand that has been at work this whole time, even through those difficult 13 years that led up to this time. He's been through the suffering, now it's the time of flourishing. And so it's clear that Joseph maintains his faith in God in the naming of his firstborn sons, who turn out to be incredibly significant as we go through the rest of the Bible because they turn out to be two of the tribes of, uh, of, um, of Israel, the two, um, two half-tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. We don't get a tribe of Joseph, we get those two, but we'll come to that a little bit later when Jacob has something to say towards the end. The second way that we know Joseph maintains his faith in God is that he continues to trust God at his word concerning the upcoming famine. I mean, just think about this for a moment. You're in the seven years of prosperity. Everything is in abundance. Everything is going well and everyone is cruising through life. This is a good time to be in Egypt. And everyone's oblivious as to what is just about to come. It'd be so easy, wouldn't it, in that time to forget about the warning of what Joseph's been given, to enjoy the plentiful harvest, to listen to those around you. Just relax, Joseph. Don't keep storing all this stuff away. Look how good we have it. I mean, you keep talking about this famine. It's not looking like we're going to have much of a famine around here. Let's just forget about this stockpiling and feast on what we have now. But that's not the way Joseph responds. Every year he puts aside 20% of the harvest in preparation for the famine. 20% in the first year, in the second year, in the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh year. He remains faithful because he knows that God has given him a vision of what is to come and he is trusting God into what God has said. Friends, God has called us to have a faithful presence for him in our workplace, contributing but not conforming. 
And so as you go to work this week, you don't just consume a culture, but you contribute to the culture of your workplace. And for every one of us, we'll have the opportunity to influence our workplace with grace and godliness. A great book on work by Tim Keller is called Every Good Endeavour, and it's well worth having a read of it. He tells the story of an investment banker in New York City who is presented with an investment opportunity for the bank that promises excellent returns. But the bank is concerned by the ethics of the business and the impact they have on the community, which he believes damages society according to his own Christian values and judgments. I mean, it's not illegal, but he deems it unethical. And so he's caught in this ethical dilemma. What is going to be good for the bank, for his team, and for the client is different from what he feels comfortable in doing. And so he makes a decision to go ahead with the investment, but chooses to forgo the bonus that would have been his for securing the deal. He shares this with his team, tells them what he's going to do. The investment goes ahead. The other team members all receive their cut of the bonus, but he forgoes his out of principle. He influences his workplace, the culture of his workplace, by grace and godliness. Your character at work matters. It's not just about what you do, but how you do it. And so in the face of the pressures of work, what would it look like for you to have a faithful presence in your workplace this week? Contributing without conforming. Well, finally, we see the possibility of work for us and for Joseph. From verse 53, the seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried out to Pharaoh for food. And Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. Now, if we think what is happening here geographically in the land of Egypt at the time, Lower Egypt, which is in the north, in the Delta region, is virtually rainless. And so all the agriculture relies on rain coming by the um, River Nile from the south, down near the Sudan. And the entire country depends on the summer floods. So when there's no rain in the south, the Nile River's water's levels drop and the crops no longer are watered. And so it doesn't take long before there's no grain to be harvested in Egypt and the countries all around them. Except in the north... Joseph has stockpiled grain from the last seven years of plenty, which means that in the north of Egypt, Egypt's now able to bless not only its own people, but all the peoples of the world. And it's here that we see that Joseph acts as God's instrument of salvation to his world. As people come to buy grain from Joseph, they say, actually, in chapter 47, verse 45, we'll get to this one later, Joseph, you have saved our lives. Does it sound a little bit familiar, all this? Remember the promise of God to Abraham in Genesis 12? Abraham, you'll be blessed with a land, you'll be blessed with a people, descendants, but also through those descendants, what? You will be a blessing to the world. 
through those decisions, you will bless the world. And so through Joseph, the descendant of Abraham, all the world is being blessed. And here we get a clue to the possibility of our work. We see here that Joseph's work is not for his own benefit. Joseph is stewarding the resources of Egypt to bring blessing to the world. You see, the possibility of our work is this. God is inviting you to partner with him in his love and care for the world. Your work is where God wants to use you. In your work, God will use you to care for his world, not as co-redeemers, because only Jesus is our redeemer, but as instruments of grace. As we go to work this week, we are agents of God as he seeks to provide his providential care for his world. So how is your work good? How is your work good? Whether you're working in a career or studying for one, whether it be in the care of your family or in the way you give your time to others, it's important that we can answer that question. How is your work good? How is my work a blessing to God's world? As we answer this question, we arrive at a deeper sense of purpose and we'll see the impact that God can have through our work for his world. Paul writes in Colossians 3, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. And so, friends, as you go to work this week, go to work on purpose. Ask the Lord to use you, to shape your character, so you might be a faithful presence for him in your workplace, like Joseph was in Egypt. God is using us as an instrument to care for his world. We see his hidden hand revealed in the labours of our hands. Friends, your work is where God wants to use you. So let me pray. As we think about our workplaces, as we think about the good that God may be doing through us in those places that he has placed us in, not only here at church as we work together, but in our whole week, in the secular world we may be living in, not conforming to the pressures of the world, but being a blessing to change the world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of work. Right from the very beginning of creation, you are a worker, creating the world that we live in. And you've called us to work and to tend your creation. We are to be workers. And that work is not only in spiritual matters. That work is in all sorts of ways that you will use us in our jobs, in our careers, not for our glory or for our advancement or for our sense of identity and self-worth, but as agents of yours to bless and, and nurture the world you've given us. And so, Father, as we go to work this week, help us to remember that we go to work for you, that everything we do here at church, when we gather in small groups, 
but also at work is a chance to bring you glory, a chance to be a blessing to those around us and a chance to bring change to your, wor- to your world for your good and your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.